Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no holds barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis. As some of you know, we recently created a Patreon page. Before we get into this episode, we want to give a quick shout out to all of our new patrons. We are so grateful for all the people who have signed up for our Patreon page. We've been launched for a little over a month and we have right around 250 patrons. So we want to do a quick shout out to thank those who have signed up since our last podcast patron shout out. So here goes. Thank you to Michelle, Diane, Paula. Pat, Kay, Sonia, Chris, Eric, D, Diana, Jennifer, Nancy, Jessica, Brenda, Pauline, Jamie, Rebecca, Kathleen, Karen, April, Kelly, Matilda, Leslie, Barbara, Krissa, Michael, Christine, Nikki, Bev, Sharon, Norma, Sherry, Craig, Jay, Erin, Jean, Betsy, Crystal, Tracy, L, Juliet, Gail, Maureen, Bo, Christopher, Kenny, Sherry, Linda, Erin, Lori, Bob, Lucinda, Christine, Cheryl, Kathy, Rhonda, Lori, Eleanor, Lee, Alfredo, Lauren, Stacy, BL, Lee, Velvet, Melanie, and Lorena. If we missed you, please message me and let me know, and we'll be sure to add you to our next podcast patron shout out. We are so incredibly grateful to all of you, and we hope you're enjoying Patreon. Welcome to this episode of the Doctor Patient Forum. Don't forget, folks, if you like what you heard here today, be sure to leave us a five star review and don't forget to visit our website. Bev and I have been inundated with messages from people telling us that they can't find their medication. All pharmacies are out of medications. And today's desk, uh, today's guest has joined us in the past. Uh, we met on TikTok, uh, so don't forget to follow him on TikTok as well. Welcome to the show, pharmacist Matt. Hi guys, it is. Thank you for the invitation back. It's great to be here. Well, we love having you. Yeah. Uh, yes. Matt, what's your name on TikTok? Is it at Pharmacist Matt? It is at Pharmacist Matt, and I just broke 80,000 followers. Wow. That's excellent. You go, it, boy. <laughs> absolutely mind boggling that that's a thing, but it, it's yeah. been mostly due to the uh, drug shortage answering those questions. Oh, good. Right. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, as you may or may not know, Matt, we have one Facebook page of mm-hmm. 25,000 members. And whenever we create posts asking, have you folks encountered drug shortages? Hundreds and hundreds of messages. So what's going on? What's going on with these drug shortages and why is it happening? So drug shortages are not a new thing. I mean, they go back probably 25 years. And there are a couple of factors that that play into what causes a drug shortage. So in general, before we get to the current ones, a lot of drug shortages in the past were caused by buyout of generic companies and product stopping product lines. So if you had two companies that make epinephrine injection, for example, and one gets bought out, The company may drop a product line. They tell the FDA, hey, in six months, we're stopping this, opt not to make it. And then your drug supply drops by 50% and you have a shortage. And then you just have one company making the product. And just so, because some people don't understand this whole process. So we've got the drug company, the drug manufacturers, Mm -hmm. they manufacture the drug and then they sell to these wholesalers. I believe there's three of them. There's Amerisource. Yeah, Amerisource, uh, Cardinal and McKesson. Those are the three main wholesalers that control probably 90% of the drug market in the United States. And then the wholesalers sell or give them, I don't know what the correct term is, Distribute, distribute the medications to distributors. Well, no, the wholesaler is the distributor. Not the distributor. Okay. And then the wholesaler, let's talk about where the pharmacy comes into play. So then the wholesaler has to give each, I guess, pharmacy a certain amount of medication. Is that where that Correct. pharmacy benefit manager comes in? Mm-mm. So um, the way a pharmacy is supplied, I go in every day to my wholesaler, which is, let's say, McKesson is example. And every day I place a drug order with McKesson. The next day at a certain time, a guy shows up and delivers my drugs. Controlled, not controlled, all of them. 
So you have companies overseas that make what we call the API, which is the active pharmaceutical ingredient. That's stuff like your Tylenol or your oxycodone or your aspirin, whatever the drug is they make. They sell it to drug manufacturers who process it into tablet capsules, solutions, injectable, whatever the form is. The wholesalers then distribute the drugs to the pharmacies. So at any point, if there's a breakdown in that process, you have a drug shortage. Okay. And then when we're dealing with controlled substances, now we welcome a different animal into the mix, the DEA. That, correct. And and so overseeing, it's, it's a closed loop system of controlled substance distribution. The DEA through the Controlled Substance Act of 1970 regulates everyone in the process. So anyone that handles controlled substances in the United States is a registrant with the DEA. They have to buy a permit and abide by the regulations. So the company that's making the literal ingredient, let's say Adderall or amphetamine that goes in your Adderall capsule, the wholesaler has a controlled substance permit and then your pharmacy does. And all along this process, we have regulatory framework for tracking it down to the capsule level. Mm -hmm. And also there's a ratio involved, Matt. So if you're getting all of your drugs from McKesson, mm -hmm. and if you, if you are dispensing too many controlled substances, you could get into some trouble with your distributor because of this ratio that really nobody knows the number. So you, you should be dispensing right. as many controlled substances to as many non-controlled substances. Right. There, there is that ratio and they do look at that. But from a day-to-day -day pharmacist point of view, the thing that we worry about, you would have to be really out of whack to hit that ratio. To the best of my knowledge, I've never seen a regular pharmacy have a problem with that ratio per se. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that we hit is we have monthly limits. So let's say I get an influx of people that went to Teladoc's for ADHD during the pandemic and my controlled prescriptions for Adderall double, well, I might hit my monthly limit for ordering Adderall. And I might place an order and I, my wholesaler will say, sorry, you've exceeded your monthly quota. Try again <laughs> next month. Okay. All right. So, there, and I've had that happen. And there are some pharmacies because they've reached out to me that they're pain management pharmacies. They can deliver right. these medications to right. uh, these very sick people, you know, our community, the pain community. And mm -hmm. I, they, they've called me. They said, I've, I just lost my distributor. I've got to close my doors. So th this is scary, especially for these independently owned pharmacies. Yeah, Sorry, I've, tried, I've tried to, I'm trying to find this article, Matt, but there was something I saw within the last month that showed part of the settlement agreements with the attorneys mm -hmm. general with the distributors is part of the problem. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So if you have a pharmacy and you have a very high ratio of controlled substance prescriptions, your distributor will be flagged for selling you an abnormal amount of, let's say, opiates or ADHD meds. You know, for example, let's say you're a pharmacy that does hospice. Okay. Odds are you're going to hit flag by DEA every time you order because you're dispensing lots of morphine for hospice. It's completely legitimate, but you're going to be flagged for being out of that ratio. And odds are they're going to look at you on the back end through what you're buying. If, if you look at it, if, if I'm ordering 100 morphine equivalent bottles a month and I'm doing hospice, that, that will be different than, let's say, a pain management pharmacy, but it, it would have the same flagging ratio, as they say. Okay. But the hospice pharmacy is not going to get dinged because hospice is essentially exempt from a lot of those quotas. Okay. term for it. Because end-of-life care really doesn't fall into the, the CDC guidelines or anything like that. But if you're doing pain management and, and your drug ordering ratios are outside the norm, the wholesaler is going to flag you, the DEA is going to look at you, and they very well could come audit you and yank your controlled substance permit. So who, these decisions, the settlement decisions um, to settle those cases against mm -hmm. them was done by the attorneys general. So this is totally uh, created by lawyers, not even doctors or, or even a pharmacist. I, I wonder if they even spoke to pharmacy, uh, pharmacists or doctors about what would be best in this settlement, or they just decided on their own? So it's the, the, the settlement, as I understand it, what little reading I've had a chance to do, because it's several hundred pages. Um, yeah. It was law enforcement and lawyers. Right, right. And, and, 
Oh, geez, that's terrible. And and, and so, no, I, I don't know that patient and, and medical opinions were taken into account. It, it It's very frustrating because from the pharmacy point of view, the, the settlement for the big box stores and what they're requiring them to do is going to change the landscape of how you get your medication if you're right. using a controlled substance for a legitimate reason. Odd to me that we're finally where people are saying the CDC guidelines make it easier to prescribe, but it doesn't even matter anymore because if you can't find your medication, who, who cares if they're allowed to prescribe it? There's nothing you can do. And then, you know, like we've talked about last time, the red flags, if, if a patient has more than one pharmacy in a period of two years, that's a red flag. But how are they supposed to have the same pharmacy if you have to go to multiple pharmacies? Right. And and so the, the drug shortages particularly for the ADHD drugs and the pain meds are making it very difficult for people because at some point in the process, there are some people arguing that DEA limits are what is causing the shortage, not necessarily manufacturing supply. Now, it's funny because some of the manufacturers are saying, or the DEA is saying, well, manufacturers haven't hit their quotas yet. We don't understand why there's not a, you know, we don't understand why there's a a, a shortage. I, I find that difficult to believe. I mean, so what are people, it's just, it's so hard for us to even tell anyone what to do, Matt. So I know you explained it a a little bit, but can you just at least summarize, like, I don't know, point one, two, three, four, what you say is causing the shortages. It seems like it's uh, ADD medication, but also like in my state, oxycodone, not perfect, but oxycodone. And I haven't, in my state, I haven't heard of any other, but those two specifically, what, what exactly is the full reason? Is it these quotas? Are pharmacists lying sometimes because they don't want to fill? What do you think? So my, my best opinion at this point is we have a breakdown in the supply chain. I think that what's happening is the first thing is the companies that are making the actual chemical substance are having issues. Okay. I think that there is some DEA quota influence because every year they ratchet down the quotas on all the drugs. And I think there are some distribution issues because what we're seeing across the United States is variable shortages on different drugs. So like in Massachusetts, you know, you said you might have hydrocodone, the Vicodin shortage. In Maryland, I might have an oxycodone 10 shortage. We're going to take a quick break from this episode to listen to a patient story about how drug shortages have affected her. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining me on our podcast today. I had asked on Facebook for some stories of people who have been affected by the the whole medication shortage issue in pharmacies, and you responded. So do you want to start by just introducing yourself? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Hi, my name is Lauren. Um, I've had chronic pain for well over 20 years, and I've I've been prescribed um, hydrocodone for the last 10 years, and I never had an issue um, like with the far. I've been using the same pharmacy close to my home for the last eight years. Never an issue monthly. They always had the medication, and. You know, suddenly last summer, things started to change. Um, they started not to have the medication in stock. So and you, how would you find out? Would you just go and get your regular medication and then they would just say they didn't have it there available? Or did the doctor tell you? So no, so the, the, the doctor didn't tell me. So basically, you know, I go to the doctor appointment and um, I would get my script. And then on the day, you know, I'd go into the pharmacy and I go to the counter and they do the whole thing. You know, they take your driver's license. They look right. in the system and the pharmacist, um, you know, she would say to me, I'm sorry. After, you know, it's been eight years, they would have it. And all of a sudden last summer it was, you know, I'm sorry, we, we don't have it in stock. But at that time last summer, they were able to look in the computer and say, but this pharmacy does. And we have a lot of a lot of pharmacies around here. So it wasn't so horrible at first because it was like, okay, you know, you're, you're giving me a place to go. I'll, you know, go over there. And, you know, they were able to fill it. So it was a little bit of an inconvenience because obviously, you know, it's, you're driving to another place and you're doing this all over again, putting this in. And, 
but um, they would have it. That was fine for, you know, a few months last summer. But in August of 2022, things started to really change. And that's when basically the backup pharmacy started not having the hydrocodone in stock either. Oh my gosh. And so what would happen? Like you would just, would they let you get a partial fill or did you just <sighs> have to not get it at all? So basically I, you know, that I was fortunate to be able to have a paper script. So I was able uh-huh. to go to other pharmacies t- to see if they had it. But what started to happen is, you know, I have all these pharmacies here. They're very close. You know, it's probably five of them within, you know, five miles of my house. But they all just, sorry, we, we, we don't have it. We don't have it. And it started to get to a point where in their computer, they couldn't even send me somewhere because they wouldn't have it. And it just became just really stressful because, you know, I don't feel well. And it's, you know, you're just, it takes time to drive around and ask, ask, ask. And it got to a point, I'd say October was the worst month. And that is when it became so stressful. And it took so much time to go from place to pharmacy to pharmacy to try to find a place that had the hydrocodone that my husband started taking off from work. And he would, he would go and October was definitely like, even worse. And when I say worse, I mean, not just stopping at maybe one or two other pharmacies. We're talking like stopping at like five pharmacies. Did you talk to your doctor about it at all and let him know what was happening? Yeah. So I I did talk to um, him and the person there that, you know, talks with you before the doctor comes in and, and they're very sympathetic, but they know what's happening. They're very well aware. Other patients are going through it, but they're really, there really isn't anything that they could tell me. Right. And that's what kind of was happening with the, with the pharmacy too. Yeah. yeah. Did, did anyone explain to you at all why they're on back order? Like why no one's carrying them or did the pharmacies not really even know? Yeah. So basically um, my husband, he really was hopeful to find out a way for this not to happen. I mean, that was the whole thing. Is there something we could do? Right. What can we do to prevent this in the future? And there was just no, there was no guidance. It was just pretty much, they basically said because of the drug enforcement and the quotas that they only have a certain amount of, you know, these med, the hydrocodone or other, you know, pain medications and controlled substances per month that they can. And if, if they're out or they don't, you know, they can't help the patient, they can't help the person. I mean, it, it feels like that's what's, that's what's getting worse is they, they just, they don't have it. Yeah. Did you try going at the beginning of the month instead of towards the end of the month? Or does that not make a difference? Yeah. So it was interesting. In October, we did find a pharmacy that had it. And they actually had it for like three months straight. Yeah. So we thought we were good. We're like, okay, they, they have it and we're going to be just fine. But then February, February was another, like how I described October, where February was pretty much really bad too. And the pharmacist basically said, I I can't take this script because I can't even tell you if it's going to be a month until we get this hydrocodone in. I, I don't know what to tell you. You're going to have any, he, he told my husband, you know, you're going to need to go. You're going to need to go to pharmacy to pharmacy to see who has this. Yep. And that's a problem. I mean, did they suggest maybe seeing if your doctor could switch you to a different medication or a different strength or anything, or did they not make any of those suggestions? So they did not make those suggestions, but I was, you know, when I went back to my appointment in for my appointment in um, March, basically, I I let my doctor know. I said, you know, they don't have it again. And I had to fill this at another random pharmacy. And this is, you know, I worry, you know, because with the PDMP over those and trying to find, yep. you know, these have to all be on there. They are. And it will raise it. That's the thing that people don't understand either is it does. It raises your risk score. And it also can flag the doctor to the DEA, especially if it's, um, you know, multiple pharmacies. And then also if it's 
you know, a far distance. So distance from patient to, to pharmacy or, or provider to pharmacy. So the further out you go, the more the doctor or you will be flagged. And that's a big part of the problem because yeah. if you see if all you can do two pharmacies in a two year period, if you get more than that, you're flagged, which oh. is ridiculous because so many patients, some, you know, some of them have to have like seven or eight pharmacies just in a year, just to find you know, one doctor, but it is because of the DEA quota. It's also because, well, sometimes pharmacies lie because they don't want to be flagged also. So right. we, we have seen that where they're like, yeah, we just don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also part of it is the the settlement between the attorney general and I think it was Mellencroft. It was like the big three distributors because there was an injunction on the amount they're allowed to distribute. So all of that together has led to uh, this huge shortage of medication. And then you know, people are running out, people are running out, they're in pain, they're going into withdrawal, and there's really nothing, there's nothing anyone could do. It's been a mess. So have you had it where you couldn't get it? And you did start running out of your medication at all? So I was fortunate enough on all of those times, it did end up getting filled. But you know, going from all these pharmacies, but just, um, you know, the stress of that, and just what it's become, you know, it's it, it's horrible. And I did have to switch the medication. I finally did. Okay. Just because it's just, just when talking to my doctor, just, I guess it was the, you know, it's the best thing to do. And I'm, I'm grateful to them for being willing to do that for now. Yeah. So the other medication, was it a different opioid they switched it to you? And then- yeah. Yeah. Another opioid. Sounds like you have a really good doctor because most people, most doctors wouldn't be willing to do it. And then, you know, what they go through every month and people don't realize this is that there's always a pain contract and then often urine screens and then pill counts. And then a lot of times just going to the doctor appointment can be extremely anxiety inducing because a lot of times people are treated horribly there. And so they go through that whole situation, they get their prescription, and then they go to the pharmacy, and then they have to deal with getting it filled. And then even sometimes even if the pharmacy has it, then the insurance company doesn't want to allow it to be filled. Yeah, yeah. So, I heard that too. Like, you know, in, in February, I did have a surgery and that, you know, that did come into play there where it was like, I had just filled that was, you know, that horrible month, February of 2022, or 2023, rather. And I, you know, I had it filled, but I knew I was going to have the surgery. And I, you know, I, I was like, Oh, my gosh, you know, what if this doesn't work out? It it is very stressful. And yeah, people don't realize it's not just a matter of, you know, finding a doctor who will treat pain, it's just every single step of the way, and it's exhausting. And then people forget too that, you know, most people on opioids for chronically are sick in pain illnesses. So it's not, you know, it'd be a, it would be a lot for a healthy person to do every single month all the time. And for someone who's sick, it's just, it becomes, sometimes it can become your life because it, it's so difficult to get it. And it's, to me, it's so ironic because, you know, all these people are like, well, stop focusing so much on your health and stop focusing so much on your medication. And it's all you think about. And it's all you talk about. Well, it wasn't, until they made it such a huge deal. And now it has to be almost like a full-time job if you want to get adequate care from a doctor and get your medication. And so it's just, it's, it's kind of ironic. I think I just, I don't think I ever worried so much about my health as when this whole nonsense started. I feel the same. I feel the same. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's So thank you, Lauren. I appreciate your willingness to speak to me. Thank you. I yeah. Anytime, anytime I could help, and I'm I'm looking forward to Patreon. So hope hopefully we get to speak again. (laughs) Yeah, I would love that. Thanks, Lauren. You have a good day. You too. Take care, Bev. Bye. Bye. As we often do, we asked for some patient stories on our Doctor Patient Forum Facebook page about people who've had issues with drug shortages. It seems to be an increasing problem. And I just want to read some of these responses. In just two days, we received 250 comments. Here are just a few of those comments. I'm in Northern Virginia and my pharmacy of 10 years has been out of my pain medicine for three months. I have to call around to find a pharmacy that has it. I live in West Virginia and I had to hunt down who has my meds. They make it your problem. Then you have to call the doctor's office to tell them where to send the script. I'm always afraid because I was told to stick to one pharmacy. I've had to drive 50 miles to get mine. Pharmacies in my area have been out of oxycodone and hydrocodone for a couple of months. Now I'm on nothing. 
I had to switch to a mom and pop pharmacy last month in order to get my meds in May and June, which of course looks bad in the state prescription monitoring program that I'm using more than one pharmacy. I just spent the last two days trying to fill my Norco, just 40 pills. Almost every CVS in my area was out. Being that it is a narcotic, my doctor had to send in a new prescription order every time. By the time she would get it to the pharmacy that had it, it was gone. I was finally able to fill it at one that was 20 miles from my home. Extremely stressful few days. I use Walmart and have been shorted up to 30 pills at a time or had to ask for my doctor to change the milligrams to get any in Florida. My 13-year-old son has autism and ADHD. Adderall is so necessary for him to function on a daily basis. I've not been able to get this medication in over two months now. The doctor tried to change the med to Vyvanse until we could get the Adderall, but insurance wouldn't approve it, so here we are without his meds in Oregon. My local pharmacies are uncertain when or if they'll have the medication. Going through my doctor's office to get the pharmacy changed is a nightmare. I call my pharmacy first. When they don't have the pain medications, I check with other local pharmacies. No matter how I write my request, the office sends my prescription to the wrong pharmacy. Then it takes multiple attempts to have prescriptions sent to the right pharmacy. It's gotten so bad my husband drove to the doctor's office, walked past everyone until he found my doctor and spoke directly to him in an attempt to get my prescription. The doctor assured my husband he'd get the prescription to the right pharmacy. This prescription was still sent to the wrong pharmacy. Frantic because I was out of my meds, I contacted my doctor once again. The doctor apologized and finally got my meds to the right pharmacy. Happens every month. One mom and pop pharmacy abruptly closed with a week notice. We never had an issue getting our medication filled there before. We had to switch to Wegmans Pharmacy, but here they have no 10 milligram oxycodone and have been out for two months. They'll substitute Percocet, but my son doesn't need the acetaminophen because he has liver and kidney issues. But out of desperation for pain relief, his doctor switched. I can't get my prescriptions filled at any of the six pharmacies in my town. I had to stop using the pharmacy around the corner from my house after over 20 years because they suddenly started having trouble getting everyone's meds in stock about a year or so ago. I now have to go to another town every two weeks for them, but at least he always has them. My husband has not been able to get his meds for two months now. It's ridiculous. So... Again, those are just a sampling of the comments we got. There are 250 comments in just two days, and I'm sure within a week we'll probably have up to 1,000. It's a terrible situation, and I just want to restate what it's like as a pain patient to continue to have to fight for your medication every step of the way, getting a doctor to prescribe it, getting a pharmacy to fill it, getting insurance company to cover it, getting a pharmacy that even has it. And then that very act, those acts of what pain patients are forced to do are the very red flags that are used against those pain patients and the doctors also. So the entire thing is ridiculous. Red flags need to be reworked. If you would like to see all of the comments, I'll put the link to the Dr. Patient Forum Facebook page in the show notes. Now back to our interview with pharmacist Matt. So geographically, there are different shortages in different areas. So I think it's a multifactorial issue. I wish I could just say, yes, it is X, but I, I don't think it is. I think it's more complex than that. And the third thing is demand. Demand has not changed. In some cases, it's gone up with telehealth during the pandemic. And, you know, there's argument on the legal criminal side of things that these telehealth docs were not appropriate. I I can't really speak to that. that I'm not that expert. I mean, they're already going after them. I mean, Andrew Kalani was the expert or at least the spokesman for one of, I forget the name of that big uh, telehealth company that, mm -hmm. I forget the name. Do you? You know which one I'm talking about? It was a big one. I do. I can't remember the name of it, but I know that. Neither can I. But so it's so hard because, and this is the other question, because some people have said one thing and some have said the other. That leads us to partial fills. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. they'll say, oh, we have 50 of your 80. Are you, would you like to get it? But then you have to forfeit the rest. And some, they're allowed to do partial fills and get the rest. Is that like a state thing? Okay. So. Partial fills, I'm going to try to explain this in the best way I know how. Yeah. The first thing that influences a partial fill of a controlled substance, if you have 50 of the 80, it depends on how soon that pharmacy can satisfy a partial fill. We have 72 hours. If I can't guarantee you that I will have that drug in 72 hours, I will not partial fill that prescription. Because if I am in violation of that regulation, I get in trouble. The pharmacy gets in trouble. It's a no-go. Are you allowed to partially fill it and then just have the patient 
like give up the rest of the medication? Correct. So that's the other part of the partial fill. If, if somebody comes into my pharmacy and oxycodone 10 is on shortage and I have 50 of the 80 that they need, and I know I'm not going to get that oxycodone 10 to satisfy it, I'm going to tell them, look, you've got two options. You can have your doctor try another pharmacy, or I can fill it for what I have and you forfeit the rest. It, it all hinges on, can I satisfy that within the federal limit? Satisfy it, Matt. They can come back in 72 hours and pick up the rest? Correct. Okay. Because there's a lot of confusion about that. It is. is. And is, is that the law in every state? Do you know? That is the federal law. Okay. And federal supersedes state. And they don't need a new prescription. No, ma'am. Okay. So, so if you, you bring have... me a prescription for 120 oxycodone and I have 80 of them in stock, and I can assure you that within 72 hours, I will have the balance of those tablets. That is a legal partial fill. You come back, you know, in a day or so, you pick up the rest of your tablets. Everybody's happy. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And that's reasonable. It what, is. What's but... going on with these? I feel these I feel bad for the families whose children are really dependent on this Adderall. And I got to tell you, we haven't experienced a drug shortage in Rhode Island. Usually pop my head into different pharmacies. And Mm -hmm. do you experience more of a drug shortage if you're in a larger state or a smaller state? The short answer is I am not sure. So wholesalers, the way they're set up is by distribution center and districts. So I don't know the metrics of how they determine what districts get what drugs. So, for example, during the Ozempic issues, which are still sporadically going on, our, our, the pharmacy I work at, we have a couple of stores and we have one person that all her job is is managing inventory. And, and all she does is come the wholesalers for, for stuff. And, you know, she would look for Ozempic. And in our distribution center, in our district, we didn't have any. But in the next, next district over, they had an extra 25 boxes she could see and they wouldn't transfer them over. Okay. So uh, there, there are things that go on at the wholesaler level as a staff pharmacist at a community pharmacy. I, I don't have that information, mm-hmm. but how those drugs are allocated, I really, it'd be nice to know. And can you search other stores for controlled substances? Generally, if your stores are connected. Right. Like CVS. Right. You can search for inventory, but I would have to double check on the controlled substance inventory. I would say yes, but um, it's going to depend on the corporate policy. And that's the other thing about partial fills. I don't know what the big chain corporate fill or or the big chain partial fill policies are. I mean, they may active. Like where I live, they never gave us that 72 day option, 72 hour option. And maybe that's just because uh, they they knew they weren't going to get it, but they they certainly never explain that to to us. It was always, we have 60 of your whatever, and you can take it and forfeit the rest, or you can wait until we have it all, which we don't know when that's going to be. It could be months from now. So no one's ever explained that to us, but I guess it's not, most pharmacies don't explain their policies to you, actually. It just seems, not that box stores, they just seem to take the easy way out, I guess. Well, I don't think people know enough. Yeah, I think no, some people don't. are just. I think some people are just intimidated, right? Maybe, um, right. And it's hard to have that conversation. I was raised by the Karen of all Karens, my mom, <laughs> and you know, I learned early on you gotta you gotta advocate for yourself. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. But mm-hmm. for a lot of people, they don't know how to advocate for themselves, especially at the pharmacy. And I was, I advocated for somebody about two years ago in Rhode Island, and she was told that you know, they're not going to fill her Suboxone. And she was about to go into some serious withdrawal. And boy, mm-hmm. oh boy, CVS put her through the ringer. And there was never, and I know they had it in stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know pharmacists, I mean, I, my state is only 1 million people. This is a really dire time for these poor people. Can you imagine being a, a like a double amputee, right? And you have to keep going pharmacy, you're calling pharmacy to pharmacy and then they think you're drug seeking and then you finally find a pharmacy then you're really red flagged because you've been to three pharmacies but then let's not forget about the doctor's office what they're trying to go Mm -hmm. through to find the person their medication so folks if this is 
Don't take it out on the pharmacist. Don't take it out on the doctor. Take yeah. it out on your senator because yeah. your senator should be intervening with the DEA because they're driving this bus right now, not the pharmacist. They are. And, you know, the, op the current opioid settlement and the way they're going, it's going to make it very much more difficult. But as far as the current drug shortage right now, unfortunately, there is not a lot you can do. So let's take Adderall, for example. The Adderall shortage started depending on where you are in the country between August and November of last year, and it's still continuing. Well, when that happened, all the providers went, well, okay, let's switch people over to generic Ritalin. And that essentially ate up whatever excess generic Ritalin was in the pipeline. And then the doctors went, oh, okay, we can't use generic Ritalin. We can't use generic Adderall. The PBMs don't want to pay for brand. Let's go to generic Concerta. That's always a good one. And then generic Concerta vanished. And it's this domino effect of trying to get people meds. Right. But the I lawmakers mean, are saying it's because of telehealth medicine that caused this drug shortage. And, you know, they're, they're painting a different picture. They're painting the picture well throughout the pandemic. These doctors overprescribed Adderall and the drug shortage. But I don't think there's truth to that. I mean, I think I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I, I think that maybe a lot of legitimate people had a stressful situation and found out that they were coping with something and then they needed help coping with it. And and sure, were there potentially some unscrupulous people in the mix? Maybe in telehealth. I don't know. But to blame it all on telehealth, I don't think is necessarily 100 percent accurate. I mean, basically, they're, they're going to start like now I'm seeing it. Um the same group, Andrew Kalani and, and Adrian Fuberman and those prop members who are so at the, the heart of all of this opioid litigation are now really shifting gears. And Anna Lemke, they're shifting gears and they're speaking much, very, very much about Adderall and ADHD meds saying there's never use for medication. It doesn't really exist. We're medicalizing normal things. And it makes me wonder if they are looking to have huge litigation against um, them because, you know, like Carrie has just said, they're going to start calling them meth pills. I mean, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to do the same thing and they're going to cut people off and they're going to say they're not needed. And then people will go to the street. Uh, you know, some of them will, some of them won't. Or a friend will be like, hey, I have some. And, and the friend will think that it's actually from the pharmacy and then mm -hmm. elicit fentanyl in it. And we're going to, it's going to be the same situation. And I don't, I don't know how to, like what to do exactly to fix it. And I have this one question about, you explained it last time, I think, but if mm -hmm. you can explain it again. I'd love to. Do, pharmacy <laughs> do pharmacies all have their own like software, electronic health record type information to, to leave notes about context, about it, like if, if a oh, patient- 100%. Okay, so if- Every pharmacy has a dispensing system. Okay. And so for example, CVS has their own proprietary in-house system. Rite Aid has their own proprietary in-house system. Uh, Walmart has their own system. Same with Walgreens. Independent pharmacies typically contract that out to third-party pharmacy vendors. Okay. Uh, one of the biggest vendors right now is called Pioneer RX. It's a decent system. It has its quirks. But within that system, at, you know, when I go to work, if I need to document something, I have a couple different ways I can document. I can document my notes under the patient general information tab. I can document prescription specific discussion with the provider under the Rx tab. I can annotate the digital image in my system. Uh, called Dr. Jordan, spoke with him about the excessive dose. Doctor explained that, yes, he knows it's excessive. Here's why he gave me history going to fill the Rx. Do patients, resolved red flag. do patients have the right to access that like they do their regular electronic health records? Has anyone ever come in asking you for a copy of it or do they not have that right? To answer that question, nobody's ever asked for that. Okay. And the second question is, I don't know the exact answer, but here's what I would theorize. I'm not a lawyer. I would think as a patient, you would have the right to that type of information. Yeah. But how you would get that out of the system, I don't know. It's, it's not like I can. It's just interesting because we, we don't have access to PDMP. We don't have access to Narc's care. But I'm going to look into that to see if it's covered by the, you know, information blocking laws, HIPAA and all of that. Well, um, oh, no, no. Pharmacy data and pharmacy information is 
100% HIPAA. You know, uh, you, if you come into my pharmacy and want a tax printout for 2022, right. you have to fill out an attestation that you are who you are and that's who I'm giving that information to. Because when the um, gay comes and, and they say to you, uh, Matt, you, this person had so-and-so red flags, they had four red flags and you didn't reconcile them or you didn't look into them. Now you can go back and look at the, the patient's chart, right? And say, well, this is what I did. And this is what. Once again, they wouldn't, a lot of, most people wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't even advocate for themselves. So now when we, you know, and people are like, well, how do I know if I've been red flagged and can I see my PMP? And sometimes we're like, well, you can ask the pharmacist, but. Well, that's well, actually state. like the states have their own laws about asking for it is state law specific. So, for example, in Maryland, you as a patient can create an account and look at your PDMP. Really? I'm pretty sure Maryland law stipulates that I have to wow. cross check like, it. Wow, that would be interesting. Like, because that's something we were our, the doctor patient forum is fighting for too. We'd like to see more transparency and. Uh, PDMP oh, risk scores and also more access because some like I asked for mine years ago and I still hadn't gotten it um, and and some states charge but I, I think people should have immediate access just like they do electronic health records why not how else are you going to know if there's a mistake in there and, and if you're listening to this podcast you you don't do that through your pharmacy you do that I believe through your health and human services yeah. department whoever so the PDMP in that state. In some states, it's like the Board of Pharmacy, I think. I think you have to ask whoever is actually yeah. in control of it. You, we have that. Technically, Go ahead. most states, a pharmacist can't just print out your PDMP report and hand it to you. That's not legal. <laughs> Why? That's the laws and regulations. I, <laughs> I have to abide by them. I didn't write oh. them. <laughs> well, obviously you do for sure, because I mean, they're you can get in trouble, but I'm just curious what their reasoning would be. Why would it bother them for someone to have a printout? You know, I, I never thought that much about it. Um, it I, I would think that it, if it is your data, you have the right to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's um, no longer a right in the country. We don't have a, we don't have a right to our own data. Hey, Matt, can I ask you a question? Because you're, sure. in, a comp you're in a compound pharmacy. I am. I, I, we, our, our pharmacy does compounding. Yes. I'm not and, a compound pharmacist, but yes, we do that. Oh, why? Are there separate pharmacists that just specialize in compounding? Oh, hundred percent. I oh, mean, I have some basic compound knowledge, mm -hmm. but some of the really funky stuff that we do is not really in my bailiwick. So okay. go for it. Because I'm on hormones. Um, yeah. So when I walk into the pharmacy, you would probably notate in your software, hot 54-year-old female approaching <laughs> about her hormone therapy. And I, people's like, oh, Claudia, you should go to a compound pharmacy for your estradiol and your progesterone, and then you can just rub your skin. And I've never been to a compound pharmacy. But my thought is because I get more requests to help people come off Suboxone than other medications. And my thought is if there's a compound pharmacy, they could probably be making, they could probably make it easier for people to come off Suboxone by going to a compound pharmacy, because when they get down to a, a very small piece of the strip, that's, mm -hmm. that seems to be where they struggle. And a light bulb went on in my menopausal mind one night. And I said, if they could compound it and maybe it into an oil and then they can just use a dropper every other day but so that, that is an interesting thought okay it's possible so so here's here's my quick uh 30 seconds on compound pharmacy um compound pharmacy is the biggest secret in pharmacy that most people don't know about we can do things for you and your pets that you'd never dream of um <laughs> like one of the one of the coolest products i've ever seen is Topical methimazole for cat thyroid problems. It comes in a little dispenser. You put on a rubber glove, you click, you turn the apparatus, it, it dispenses it onto your hand and you rub it on your cat's ear and it absorbs. Oh, wow. Um, we do bioidentical hormone replacement in topical gels that you can rub right into your skin and no muss, no fuss. Oh, wow. Uh, one of my favorite products is we do topical pain creams. So topical pain creams are 
at least in vogue in my area, because we do a lot of them. And it's stuff like if you're having neuropathy, it could have gabapentin and some lidocaine and some other things specified by your doctor. They actually get a menu of how they want to concoct it. See, that, that, sounds, that, sounds, that's a better option instead of ingesting that gabapentin. Because, and I feel like you're rubbing it right on the source of the pain. So mm -hmm. you're actually getting some relief from the garbage pentin without losing yep. your memory. I'm going to ask about that because I didn't know that that exists. I wonder if they can do that in every state. I'm going to ask my doctor about that. Yeah, we love um, compound 100%. pharmacies. A, a good compound pharmacy can do things for you that your doctor will love. I mean, just as an example, um, everybody hates nail fungus. Uh, for <laughs> one of our local podiatrists, we do custom compounded nail lacquers where they actually take a scraping of the toenail fungus, send it out for culture, and we compound a made-to-order kill nail lacquer that they apply and kill the fungus. Matt, <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have said <laughs> We don't do feet. We don't, don't do toes. We don't do toenails. I'm gonna <laughs> episode toenail fungus. Well, well, I mean, we, we could do a whole episode in talking about compound pharmacy. One of the coolest things I wish endocrine doctors would use is topical metformin, but that's a whole other discussion. Oh yeah, that would be amazing. Because I have um, like whatever bulging discs and sciatic nerve issues, mm -hmm. and the doctor was like let me try gabapentin. And I said, no, I tried it one time for like a period of a few days and I had really, really bad reaction to it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's not an allergy, but what Matt, like I was standing there and I was holding a glass of water and my arm just flung and the water flew out and I just watched it happen. I couldn't control these spastic moves. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember what I was saying in the same sentence. And, and we know, and folks, we know Gab, Gab, Gab I keep calling it garbage it pentin. Works. Yeah. It does work for some, and I don't want to get sued by Pfizer for no, using the no. hashtag garbage penton, but it does work for some. But Matt, you got to admit, when I put out garbage, uh, uh, Penton videos, they, they garner like 3 million views each video. Yeah. There's yeah. something yeah. to this gabapentin memory loss. But if a person comes to you who wants to come off gabapentin, or if they just approach their pharmacist, because I love my pharmacist, mm -hmm. my pharmacist knows more than my doctors know. And I, I, I see guidance from the pharmacist before yeah. the doctors, but people yeah. are desperate to come off these medications. And I, we always tell them, okay, first off, have a conversation with your provider. I'm like, fuck that. 100%. Have a conversation with yeah. And can you... Do you counsel people on how to sure. come off medications slowly? Well, I do. do that? You sure can. So, so the big ones that people need to come off slowly are typically seizure drugs like um, Keppra and other things, um, uh, Vimpat, things like that. Gabapentin is a big one um, that, you know, due to withdrawal symptoms or unwanted side effects, you can come off that slowly. And then, of course, the other one is benzos. I hadn't really thought about Suboxone. But I will be honest, I, I need to do more research about the uh, what you're describing on Suboxone. So that being said, if someone comes to my pharmacy and says, Matt, I want to get off my gabapentin, first thing I'm going to tell you is, have you discussed this with your provider? If the answer is yes, and they're on board with it, then it is simply, now we need to devise what we call a taper off. A, a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's not required. You can stop it abruptly. That is not the case. No, Never, ever stop a drug abruptly. Yeah. So in, in the grand scheme of things, depending on the person, you can reduce the, the dose of gabapentin 50% as a trial. If the 50% is too much, then you say back it up to 25%. And where you're going to run into trouble is your doctor can write the best taper in the world. The question is, is your pharmacy insurance going to pay for it? That is where tapers get screwed up. Uh, yes, is, yes. Especially with the benzos. I learned that. Uh-huh. Yep. And, and so the idea of tapering someone off a of benzo or gabapentin is very straightforward. 25%, 50%. If you're really sensitive, you could go in 10% increments and that's where your compound pharmacist can custom make your gabapentin capsules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love, only... I, I love it. I love the whole concept of compounding. And I know that Suboxone uh, people who they want to come off of it, 
and I've heard about compound pharmacies assisting with coming off of buprenorphine and oh really oh and and the benzodiazepine they can turn it into a liquid and then you can mm-hmm. just use a dropper and yep. go every other day. I was only on what a quarter milligram of clonopin. And Mm -hmm. people, they put this shit in your head. Oh, you're never going to come off of it. You're never going to come off of it. So I think it took me like three years to come off of a, and I wasn't forced. My doctor's like, uh, yeah, where you're going to die from clonopin is if you get run over by the clonopin truck. But I didn't want to be handcuffed to a doctor begging for quarter milligram. And I was successful, you know, melatonin for me worked, but Mm -hmm. the people we advocate for, they were they need these benzos and the doctor just cuts them off. Yeah. Cuts them off and then they're in the hospital having seizures. They're choking on their tongue. And that's the other thing. People are being denied. So people on benzos for anxiety are definitely being cut off. But even people, at least in my state, um, benzos even for seizure disorders are being cut off. And and it's ridiculous because these people are taking it. It's been working for them. And they're just afraid though. I mean, it brings me back to the red flags. Uh, they're just afraid these and now it seems like pharmacists are having more pressure on them than they did in the past at least that's what it looks like when you look at these articles um, about the red flags and about pharmacies and the DEA and all this reconciling stuff and Mm -hmm. I mean so really this is the thing people don't understand so really if you have a pharmacist and you get all your medication there and that pharmacy is out of medication and you're you go to another pharmacy because you know they're out of medication. That pharmacist, I, I imagine, might be denying your medication because then they're filling something in, even though there's a red flag. And then well, so hold on a sec. Yeah. So so that could happen, but yeah. if, if there's a known drug shortage and you have a quantity of the drug, yeah. There, there are a couple of things that could be happening. One, and, and this I, I don't agree with and I don't like it, is they may be holding it for the patients they already have. Someone told us they told them that. Someone, did you see that post, Claudia? Somebody said their pharmacy actually, uh, or a pharmacy they went to actually said, "We have to, we have to give this to our regular customers. We can't give this to you." Well, and yeah, and I think, I, listen, that's fair because if you if you have an independent pharmacy, if I'm the pharmacy owner, out of respect, people get all your medications filled at one pharmacy. So you're not throwing up this unknown ratio. Many people can't though, because it's being, it's all, it's shortage in a lot of places. So it makes, it makes for a bad situation. And then, but but if you're, but if you're, if you own the pharmacy, Bev, right. And you have to take care of your customers first, because they're the, those are the people who have been loyal. And if I own a pharmacy and some randoms coming in and saying, can I just get my oxycodone filled here? No, you have to get all your medications filled here. And what's right? Well, in an ideal world, yes. Um, The the other issue is, at least during this time of shortage, I would expect pharmacists to have a little more compassion and rationale and looking at, you know, if it's a local person and it's a local doc and it's legitimately their pharmacies out of it short of like some really egregious red flags i don't know that that's necessarily an issue i think really what's happening is most pharmacies don't have it you know that's an unsolvable problem i you know i wish I, we could solve it but you know if i literally can't order it i literally can't sell it to you so is there do you know if it's going to get better as far as the shortage goes um do you have any idea how long these kind of shortages uh, last before they get better or is, so is it- historically yeah historically drug shortages are three to six months oh my gosh okay um that being said i don't know i i don't have any good feel for where this is going because okay. i can't identify a particular cause you know what i think we need to do I think we need to change the whole red flag system. Yeah, they, because, yeah we can talk know, about that. And, and I think it needs yeah. to be done on, it's not going to get, it can't get done on a, on a federal level. It's impossible. But I think, you know, I always go to legislation because that's, you know, that's one of my passions. But you're going to sit down with lawmakers and you're going to say, this is fucking crazy. You're, tell, you're, you're punishing me for going to four pharmacies, but yet you created the drug shortage because people signed on to opioid litigation. So now you're punishing me for going to four pharmacies to get my medication. And now you're red flagging me, which is now going to increase some 
unknown risk score. Once again, Uh nobody knows about risk scores. And I don't know how to tackle this on uh, a federal level other than attorney Jen Oliva suing you know, Apris's, Narc's Care, or Bamboo, whatever the hell their name is. But <laughs> I think on a local level, it's something that could possibly get done with the help of the Department of Health and HHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like a daunting task, but all it all it takes is one state to get it done, and then it spreads to the other states. That's, I mean, it's hard because there are these these algorithms, like state medical boards have their own algorithms um, for doctors and then Mm -hmm. which has their own algorithms for patients and they have a doctor outlier algorithm. And then OIG has an algorithm where they, I think they use SAS, S-A-S, however you say Mm -hmm. it. And um, we just watched some videos about it and they actually said, they were so excited to say this, Matt. They were like, this is so great because they showed it on like a visual map, like from above and you saw all the patients are little dots. And they, mm-hmm. they said, this is a doctor we just took out. And they said, look at all those patients gathering to the nearby doctors. They said, just like ants on an anthill and said, and this becomes our next target. Yeah. Said that. Well, that's disgusting. You think so? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, as a pharmacist, as a patient advocate, as someone who advocates for people to get appropriate treatment, you know, algorithms only show you a picture of data. You have to interpret it correctly. Yeah, it's true. And so many of these were created. There was a document, I always forget the name of it, and the DEA has taken it off their website, but it was in 99 and it was something like how not to be fooled by a drug abuser is is what they called it. And it was all these red flags and and those red flags are exactly what's still being used today so back in the day of the really when there was a so-called pill mill and you would Mm -hmm. have people pile in a van and go down to florida or whatever i kind of understand that but today no people so many people like in rural parts of our country they don't have a doctor within 50 miles they don't have a pharmacy within 70 miles that has their medication and i think all red flags need to be uh reviewed i really do i think it needs to be taken away and started from scratch because using all of these red flags from the 90s is not okay it's just not okay well from the pharmacist perspective those red flags are looking for one type of thing because they all came out of the pill mill doctor flagrant drug diversion right yeah but it, it gets difficult from the pharmacist perspective because in 2023 we have a reduced number of providers that's right we have a different climate for how or at least a climate shift on how they want to treat pain and and now you have opiate litigation that's going to change it even further. I guarantee you the big boxes are going to have hard stop documentation checklists after this latest opiate settlement. Oh, you know, Matt, that's a, you just uh, reminded me, a doctor from Oklahoma city contacted me uh, and his patients are being told by uh, the CVSs in Oklahoma city that CVS no longer fills uh, over 100 MME unless there's a cancer diagnosis attached. Uh, well, that's discrimination. Yeah, it it's, discrimi- it's discrimination. And I don't know if they're just doing this to his patients, which isn't uncommon. You know, we know that doctors get blackballed and some pharmacies, you know, they have the sign up. We're not filling Dr. A, Dr. B, Dr. C scripts. And that's a red right, but, Claudia, in the But in that's. The- red flags it's a red flag for a pharmacist to fill a prescription from a doctor who has been flagged at another pharmacy or through a payer so correct um, yeah oh my gosh and and but i will tell you that goes back that practice that that blackballing doctor practice i first experienced that in 2014 when i called for a copy of something to a big box and they said oh yeah we're not filling for that doctor anymore they were flagged in our system yeah oh my god And we have to find out these flags. That's what we, you know, and that doctor was probably flagged because they were writing scripts to people who live nine hours away from his office. See, the flag, it never ends. No, it doesn't end. And then their own system is creating the things that people will be flagged for. So they close down a doctor. They go to another doctor. That's a red flag. The pharmacies don't have medication. That's a red. That's flag. another red flag. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's bad, and I just it's, well, what a shame. 
Yeah. And, and here's from, go ahead. You know what you should do? Uh, once again, I'm going back to my menopause. <laughs> Pause mine. You should put out like a seven part series on TikTok, weaning off gabapentin, weaning off Suboxone. Well, so, so, so hold on a second. Um, that is a brilliant idea. However, I, I would get in trouble professionally for practicing pharmacists, pharmacy across state lines. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. <laughs> also, we, we cannot give, we do not give medical advice. So we're no. not telling you to, to wean off, but we have a lot no. of people who do come to us and they want to wean off. So maybe you can just say it for your state or something. If you live in this well, state. No. no, what, 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 what I can do is I can give general educational advice. Okay. And, and the advice I would give anybody that asks via TikTok or email or social media, what have you, find a good pharmacist that can collaborate with your physician to write a taper protocol. Okay. Okay. That is, that is the key. You find a local pharmacist. Uh, if they're a compound pharmacy that will compound you gabapentin capsules at your doctor's prescribed dose, mm -hmm. beautiful. The only downside to that is you're going to have to pay cash. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? But that's a red flag. Paying cash is a red flag. Well, yes. See, but the, the PBMs set it up that they they think compounded medicine is garbage and they don't want to pay for it. So yeah, they don't like it. I know you explain this also. And Claudia, I've asked her probably 750 times and I still don't understand it. Can you give okay. like the dummy version of what a PBM actually is, their function and sure. what started in this country? PBM started 25, 30 years ago. And they literally started as a middleman for a transaction. So when you got your pharmacy benefit in the late 90s with your employer, the first pharmacy benefit manager literally was a switch for that transaction. Okay. Okay. Right. Wait, 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 no, wait, stop. When you say when you got your pharmacy benefit, does that mean like uh, my Part D plan? Is that a pharmacy benefit? Correct. Or or let's say you're... you're spouse works for a company and they offer you health insurance and you know in the early 90s they added prescription as a benefit to okay. help entice people like express so that script. was a it, there you go okay. express scripts is an example mm -hmm. they started out uh the original one was uh pcs was their acronym and and all they were was a company that was set up to process the transaction that's it and it was a per transaction fee of like a quarter of a penny or something silly like that okay every time we adjudicated a claim electronically they only came into existence really when we started adjudicating insurance claims electronically in the early 90s then they kind of morphed into this well we can adjudicate the claims and now we're going to help you manage this benefit so that you, the insurer, Blue Cross Blue Shield, can save money. And then we're going to further define it and look at it and look at your metrics and develop formularies. So instead of paying for Lyrica, we're going to only pay for generic gabapentin. Oh my God. And that's going to save you X number of dollars as your PBM. You're not paying, well, you are paying your PBM, but that's a whole other little side talk. When you, when you have a pharmacy benefit, you, the benefit holder, are not the customer. The customer of the PBM, it's your health insurance policy that's contracting that benefit to control cost. All right. Because I have Humana. I have, yep. Blue, I have Blue Cross. I have Delta Dental. I have Humana. Mm -hmm. So Humana <laughs> is my... Pharmacy benefit manager. Pharmacy. Okay. Because when I go and to get... A, all right. And you've got to stay in network with these people, I think, too. They're mm -hmm. like, okay, you can... Yep. If you use a Walgreens, well, you're in... You're in network, but if you go to CVS across the street, you're no longer in our network. Or if you go across the street to CVS, you may be preferred in the network and they get the better contract. Oh my gosh. Wow. Now, can you imagine trying to explain all of this to somebody who just moved to this country and they're just learning English? Mm -mm. Uh, Claudia, every year during Medicare Part D re-enrollment, I explain it to our seniors. I yes. bet. Oh, it's confusing. And I've, I mean, isn't it confusing? The part D is so confusing. It's, I, I finally mastered med, you know, open enrollment where mm -hmm. I think I can actually help people through picking out a solid uh, health plan. But when it comes to the part D, I tell people 
make a list of all of your medications, please. Because I was sweating bullets one day. I was on the Mm -hmm. phone with somebody trying to figure out their best gym plan. And, you know, if you pick one of these Medicare Advantage plans, they make people believe, oh, yes, you know, everything is included and you have a zero, zero, zero premium. And then they go to the pharmacy. Yeah. And then they go to the pharmacy. Oh, there's zero, zero, zero on the front end until you get to the farm or until you get right. admitted to the hospital. So that that's a completely, that's another conversation. There's so We much- could have a whole talk about PBMs on another yeah. episode. Maybe we should because it's- We can. Because I still yeah. really don't understand it. I mean, I understand it a little, but Bev and I, we have to uh, really just, I have to just, for me to understand it, it has to- soak in so tonight matt mm-hmm. in the middle of the night i'll wake up after one of the hot flashes and i'll say <laughs> oh my god that's what a pbm means yep listen if you're listening to the doctor patient forum podcast keep a notebook nearby uh because we're just trying to get you folks the information that you need so during this episode we covered the red flags we covered the medication shortages we still don't know when we're going to see any relief. Nope. And we also covered the the wonders of a compound pharmacy. Yeah. So it was pretty good. Thanks, Matt. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, sure. As you heard earlier in the podcast, when we did a patron shout out, the Dr. Patient Forum now has a Patreon page. We launched a little over a month ago. If you'd like to hear more from pharmacist Matt, we have about a 25 minute video after the podcast over on Patreon. Our Patreon page link is patreon.com slash the Dr. Patient Forum. It's also listed in the show notes. Hope to see you over there. Just a quick disclaimer, the information contained in this podcast should not be considered medical or legal advice. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information. Thank you.